Today's episode of the Hidden Figures podcast is brought to you by Nubian Skin. Nubian Skin is a lingerie, hosiery and intimates brand for women of colour. Frustrated by the lack of suitable nude lingerie and hosiery to match her skin tone, Ade Hassan decided it was time for a different kind of nude. So for all you beautiful women, next time you need something in your nude, head to nubianskin.com and enter the code HIDDENFIGURES in all caps for 10% off your purchase. This code is valid for all products and the offer ends at midnight on the 30th of June. Hello everybody and welcome to the third edition of the Hidden Figures podcast. Um, today I'm really excited to have um, someone here with me today called Paul Anderson Walsh. Um, he's a pastor at my church. Um, he's done a lot of fantastic things in his life. Um, you know what, actually, it's probably better if I ask you, Paul, just just in terms of from a career perspective, we'll kind of get into your life in a moment, but just from a career perspective, what is it you do? Um, and then we'll kind of start digging into Sure, with, with pleasure. Well, first of all, thank you very much for the invitation. I really appreciate it. So, right. It's really nice to be with you. So um, at a professional level now, what I do is I'm the founder and director of an organisation called the Centre for Inclusive Leadership. Mm-hmm. And um, our interest as a business is that what we do is we are interested in an inclusive society and the way that we try and achieve that is by helping organizations and they could be governments they could be um, banks they could be all sorts of different people but helping them to create environments in which people can be their best self and do their best work so that's that's the kind of thing we're interested in and we work education government policing all sorts of different places on that very theme okay fantastic fantastic all right, so um, obviously I know you to some extent. Sure. Um, and I know you've had a very, um, I don't know what the best term is, tumultuous? Exotic. Yeah, exotic. Let's call it exotic. <laughs> had a very exotic life. Um, so if you don't mind, we're going to start off just talking about your childhood. Sure. And then course. kind of work our way yeah, to, no to the now from then. So I understand that you grew up in Surrey um, with a number of brothers and sisters. If you could just tell us about what it was like your childhood in Surrey and then I'll kind of start digging from there. Sure. Well, would it be interesting to you to know how I got to Surrey? Yeah? You, you, you tell your story. Be- as, because as you it's interesting because it. it's funny to think of me you know, having a childhood that begins in Surrey because actually my childhood begins right here in Lubbock Grove. This is where, this is where I was born. Oh, wow. Okay. So this, this is uh, literally around the corner from, from, from here. Okay. And um, so I'm born in 1960. And uh, the period in which I was born in was a, an interesting period to be born. So I'm, as you know, I'm mixed race. I'm Caribbean Irish. And uh, so literally at the time I was born, uh, there was all sorts of mayhem and craziness going on, the Notting Hill riots. And of course, we had the, the Teddy Boys from Latimer mm-hmm, Road, mm-hmm. which is just down just there, down were coming down to where I was and just on, on the Grove. And it was interesting because, as well at that time, there was a massive issue for the migrant communities. Of course, the Caribbean diaspora and then, of course, the Irish diaspora were coming together. And you know, of course, the history as well as I do. These were the era when we had the signs in the windows, no blacks, no no dogs, dogs, and no Irish. And I've often said, Zamini, that actually I think that the mixed-race children of that generation were the the dogs that the blacks and the Irish had Mm. Um, because nobody knew what to do with us. It was one thing being black, it was another thing being Irish, but Mm. to be both, that that just wasn't cool. (laughs) So although it's really cool now, uh, it wasn't cool then. So um, what happened was that my mother, who was the Irish uh, lady, she had... um, had a child earlier than me. So she had a, a, um, I have a brother called Stephen who's 18 months my senior. Mm-hmm. And um, he had gone into care 
across the road, a place called in St. Charles Square, which is just literally, uh, yeah. literally across yeah. the road. And at the bottom of St. Charles Square is an, a, a Catholic uh, organisation called the Crusade of Rescue. Mm-hmm. I think they call it, it was when I was a child, it was called the Crusade of Rescue for Destitute Children, and now it's called the Catholic something or other. Anyway, so my brother went there, and then when I came along, my mother... I can't entirely, this doesn't entirely make sense, but this is what actually happened. Um, so my mother um, had told, she had met somebody else and they were going to get married and she told the, the, the guy that she had a son. Um, but unfortunately she told the guy that the son she had was my brother and not me. So uh, on the, and this will amuse you for history, on the 23rd of March, she wanders down, in 1960, she wanders down to the Crusader Rescue and she says, um, can I swap the children? Um, I gave you this one 18 months ago. Can I give it, take him back and give you this new one? So they said, well, uh, I guess so. We've never had that request before, but I guess so. So they swapped me out and I went into the orphanage and my brother went off with my mother and they, she remarried and went off to wherever she went off to. So I'm now, um, what's about a month or two, six weeks old. Mm. Um, and in those days, they used to have these little magazines they used to create, and they used to send them around to all the uh, potential foster parents. And it was it was literally like a, a kind of, I don't know, it was like a catalogue with a little a baby, babies, a little picture, yeah. a little description. And um, and I got picked up by a family in Surrey, which is where your story mm-hmm. wants to start. Got picked up by a family in Surrey, and um, a wet and windy March night, so the story goes, I ended up in, arrived in a little place called Adelston in Surrey at six o'clock one night. And at six weeks old and remained there, uh, frankly, blissfully unaware that I was Mm. different from everybody in the house until the until my world caved in in 1969. Yeah. So if I'm honest, I hadn't read your book properly, but I started skimming it in preparation for for this interview. And I understand that it was quite a quite a story in terms of how you found out that you were fostered. If you don't mind, could you share? No, of course not. Well, it's, it's really interesting to be actually having this conversation with you now, because um, so in, in the Easter of 1969, um, well, actually, if I back up, the, the story, well, I don't know where to, how, quite how to tell you the story because I could tell it in two different directions. Um, I suppose the, the first thing that happened, and then actually what happened subsequent to that is makes the first part quite interesting from the, perp- from the issue of what I think people do when they, get, when they deal with trauma. Sometimes you just mm. bury it, so you kind of like, I don't know what you're yeah, talking about. Do you know so what I mean? That yeah, you, yeah, so it's, you know something's happened, but you just but decide... I'm just not dealing with yeah. it. So in this would have been early in 69. I don't remember when, Damini, but early in 69, there came a knock at the door one night. Yeah. And this woman was going completely crazy outside, and she was demanding that she could see my brother, Des. So in the house, there's Des, who's four years older than me. There's Maureen, who's 10 years older than me. There's Patrick, who's about 15 years older than me. And then we had a whole load of these little foster children that we used to, we used to look after. Um, and they would be, you know, they would come in and out of the house all the time. And then there was my mother and my father. I say my mother and father, mm. that's who they were up until this yeah. point. And um, so this woman was demanding that she had that she saw Desmond. And my mother said no, slammed the door, got rid of her. And it was a big kerfuffle and they went back and forth at the front door. And in the morning we were having breakfast and there was just, everybody else had gone, there was just me and Des. Yeah. And I said, to, I kind of kicked Des under the table and said, go on, find out what's going on. What the hell is <laughs> yeah. that? You know, you've got someone who comes starts banging on the door screaming for Des, what's up? So um, my mother looked at him and she was kind of, she kind of braced herself and she really steeled herself and she said, look Des, she said, Desmond, she called him, which was obviously going to be bad because she never called him Desmond unless something really tragic yeah. happened. She said, 
Look, Desmond, um, last night your mother came to get you. But don't worry, she said, um, because you're my adopted child and you cannot be taken away from me. So at this point, Des had no idea. Well, again, I think he'd kind of done the same thing I'd done with the trauma, which yeah. you kind of you just you kind of know something because actually, yeah. as it turned out, he did know because he had been rejected. He had this hateful story um, because, uh, again, uh, forgive me messing around with the chronology of the story, but um, I've just um, I'm just in the process of making the funeral arrangements yeah, for him, yeah, so he's just passed that, yeah. away. But um, interestingly, what I found out was, after a kind of 45-year parenthesis of not seeing him, what I found out was that his mother, who was the woman that was at the door, she, he tried to make contact with her, and she basically said to him, be clear, I don't ever want to see you again. I'm getting married. I've got some other family. I, you, you do, you're just not going to be part of them. And then she must have had a change of heart and come mm. back. But now bear in mind, he's buried this. Buried so, that, yeah, yeah, exactly. So that, that's, that's gone down in it, really deep down into him. So when, my, when our mother starts saying to him about your mother's come back, but don't worry, it's fine, he had a fit. He storms upstairs. You hear him stamping up the stairs, slams the doors, and that's, he's, he's gone. So it's now myself and my mother. Yeah. And if I'm really honest with you, the most inappropriate thought came across my mind. And I, there was nothing I could do with it. It, just, yeah. it was just there. And it was... Mm, I always knew there was something wrong with him. I always knew there was something well, about yeah. this boy that just wasn't was quite right. You yeah. know, he was different. He's this, that, and the other. And I went through this whole thing in my mind. So I put my hand out to my mother and sort of tried to console her. Yeah. And uh, I think I was even probably a pastor at the age of nine. That was the truth of it. And I tried to console this dear lady. And she just burst into tears. Mm. And she said, um, I'm just so glad it wasn't your mother. And I went, what? And she yeah. goes, because if it was your mother you would have had to go because you're not my child. You're my foster child. And I went, what the? Yeah. <laughs> really? What's all that so about? Yeah. So fast forward um, that year, my the foster father died. He died of, I think he died of, he died in his sleep actually. Um, mm. Yeah, I'd gone into wake him one morning and he wouldn't wake up. And I went off to play football, didn't really remember. I was only like nine, I didn't really yeah. know. I went off to play football and came back and everyone was sort of looking all stone-faced in the house, really solemn. And dad had died. And then quickly after that, um, in the Easter, mum had gone into hospital, into Guildford Hospital, where she'd had this blood transfusion and the blood transfusion had gone wrong. And she sat us down and she said to myself and Desmond, um... No, that's not. She was in hospital. Sorry, she died because she got air in the blood trans air 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 in her blood. Yeah. But she was going in for some operation. I don't quite remember what it was. Um, but she knew she was going to die. So mm. she called Des Desmond and she said, um, "So everything's all organised. Everything's been taken care of. You won't want for anything." Mm. Um, so Desmond was kind of like, you know, brace himself for what that meant. And this really nice lady called Mrs. Growney, who was a family friend, they had 13 children in that family. It was unbelievable. Oh, they used crazy. to have their dinner in shifts. It was a really amazing <laughs> house. Literally, they used to have the three sittings for dinner. It was bizarre. That is um, mad. Yeah, it was mad. <laughs> and Mrs. Growney was there. And um, she, desk, desk, it was my turn to talk to my mum. And then my mother said to me, um, so, Paul, I'm sorry. She goes, but you know, you'll be going to an orphanage, but it's going to be a good orphanage. You're going to like it, but you have to go back to the Crusade of Rescue, which is here in Lubbock Grove, mm. and then they will they moved me, as it turned out, to Enfield. So, so I kind of... It was really weird, because although I knew that I wasn't her child, mm. it kind of... The rubber hit the road in a way that I couldn't really explain to you, Damini, when when she said, you're going to an orphanage. Yeah. I just didn't quite know what to do with that, because... Yeah. 
that was like what other people, that was what, that was, you know, I'd seen Oliver Twist not yeah. very long, and it was like, what? I couldn't make any sense of that. I was absolutely terrified. So, and you'd only just found out you were, you I, this you was were like three or four months place, ago. Right? Yeah. So I'd only just figured this out. Yeah. So I'd gone from having a really straightforward, simple existence where I got, you know, I had a bed, I got fed, I, I had all sorts of other stuff going on, but I went and played football. My friends came around, I had a little girlfriend and everything was all right. You know, it yeah, all made sense. And suddenly life, the whole yeah. thing just went to hell. Yeah. So, um, the following day, mother, my mother died. She had this operation that didn't work because of this air bubble and that she died of that. And then they closed up the house and um, my sister, who, who, who has an unbelievably sad story to tell, my sister Maureen, she moves, she won't, goes off and joins the RAF. Uh, she just escaped. And there was Des and I sitting in the house waiting for the social workers to yeah. arrive. So they come. And they took us off to um, to Kenton, actually, over near Harrow. Oh, yeah. yeah, and we stayed in Kenton for a little while in a really unhappy um, foster. And then my brother went off to, um, he went away to this boarding school. And then I went off to the orphanage in Enfield. And so I was 10. And that was, that was the last time I saw him until 45 years later. And then ironically, which won't be wasted on you at all, um, he died in Guildford Hospital. Oh, wow. And so the next, the, 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 I was there for Easter 1969. Yeah, for your mum. For my mother. And yeah. I was there just last week, 40 odd years, 50 odd years later, in the same hospital, the second time in my life I'd ever been there, and watched my brother pass away. So that was just completely nuts. Wow. So yeah, that was pretty crazy. Wow. So, <laughs> I, so now I'm in Enfield. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, so yeah, that's that's quite heavy. But mm. I guess I'll, I'll I'll get to Desmond sure. um, and that later. Yeah, in yeah, the interview. Course. But um, what was it then like joining the orphanage? So you've as as you said, you've come from this like wonderful family. You're out in Surrey as well, so you're in the country. Um, I know your family was white, if, I, if I'm understood, and the general area was quite white. And then you've now come in. I read in your book, you said it was just like a, I can't remember the word that you used, but basically said it was just this super multicultural place. It was nuts. It was just, a, it was like this menagerie. It was mad. It was the maddest place I've ever been to in my life. So I've come from this part of um, Surrey. And this is where the story gets a bit twisted. So I've come from this nice little town in Surrey. There are no other people of colour anywhere to be seen. There was, a, there was one other boy. Mm. Um, his name was Anthony. That was it. There was no other. There was no other black children there at all. So it really had not occurred to me that there was a reason why my hair grew up. Yeah, that, that just didn't. I, just, I remember reading. Yeah, I just didn't understand that. Which yeah. was that was just a thing, you know. I didn't really think anything of yeah. it. And ironically, um, my foster father used to call my brother Curly, and he was white. Right, he was yeah. a white Irish. He used to call him Curly. He had like wavy hair. And he used to call me, because I think because I arrived in the spring, and they used to call me Blossom as a, ch as a child, which is okay. not, I mean, I'm particularly proud of, but anyway, that's another <laughs> story. That may have shaped all sorts of things that happened <laughs> in my life, but there we are. We'll talk about that another time. Yeah. But anyhow, um, so I arrived in this, I arrived in the orphanage, and I got there, and all the children were out. There was no one there. There was mm. a, uh, I was greeted by um, a Trinidadian nun, a black nun, and um, she, worked, she was very, very nice, and I came over from with my foster mother, the second of my foster mothers. This from Kenton. From Kenton, yeah. that's right. And she deposited me there, and I kind of sat there, and I thought, okay, um, well, it's it's not as terrifying as I thought, because it was a house. So I'm thinking it's going to be like, you know, Fagan and all the rest. I was freaked out about how scary mm. I thought it was going to be, like John Brown school days type thing. Yeah. 
So that was okay. And I just sat there. I said, where are the children? She said, oh, well, they're all out. Of course, they're all out stealing and doing all sorts of nonsense, mm. which is what we did. Um, eventually, they come back at dinner time. And, oh, my God, that I, I will never forget that first moment I saw them. <laughs> I just I was sitting in the sitting room just watching the television. And they just came in one after another. They just didn't stop coming. There were just yeah. so many of them. And they kind of gather around and they just start off you. They, they're just, just straight at it. They, what are you doing here? Why'd your mum dump you? Who are you? Uh, where you from? And it, just, and it just goes on. And you're like, um, um, I'm trying to answer all these questions. Yeah. And I was quite cool when I was in my in, 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 uh, in, in Surrey. Surrey. I was yeah. cool. But here, I was really not cool. Yeah, so I was yeah. like, well, um, I come from Surrey. And they went, why they, do you speak like that? Yeah. Um, well, because I come from Surrey. Yeah. It's like, what kind of question is yeah. that? Is how people talk. Don't talk like that. Are you a puff? I went, I don't know what that <laughs> is. And they were like, why not? And it was this, just this yeah. whole thing. Just Who do you support? And that was the key bit. So that was the big moment. So who do you support? And I supported Manchester United, right? Because it was like 1968. Yep, there you go. You see, <laughs> there you I've owned up to that now. It was 1968. Man United had just won the European yeah. Cup. It was a big thing. I was Georgie Best crazy. And um, I even had Bobby Charlton pyjamas. I, I had it all going on. Gosh, so, so as you do. So um, then when you can't support Man United, I said, well, why not? They said, because you're not allowed to. And I went, oh, um, you got either sport Tottenham or Arsenal. Mm. And I went, um, okay. Now, it happened that my foster mother had taken me to see Tottenham play. Right? She took, one of the last things she did, she took me to see Tottenham play, Nottingham Forest. So I went, uh, I sport Tottenham. And they mm. went, good. Otherwise, we'd have kicked your head oh, in. Yeah. So it was like, oh, survival. So I made it through the first day. So um, so then I went to, when everything settled down, we'd had dinner in there. And the first day there, I was looking at these kids. They were African, they were Italian, they were Asian, they were Chinese. It was a madhouse. It was just all these people from all over the place. Mm. I went to, but mostly black, right? So I went to see the, um, the nun and I said, um, so I don't mean to be rude, but I need to t- talk to you about something. So she said, okay, so what would you like to talk to me about? So I said, well, um, I don't think I'm going to be able to stay. So she looks at me like, <laughs> do you not realise you're in an orphanage? Yeah. It's, not like, it's, not like <laughs> it's, not, it's not like a hotel or anything. You're not understanding this. So I said, um, she said, well, oh, really? Well, what seems to be the problem? So I said to her, well, I said, again, I don't, I, with respect, I said to her, and she said, go on. I said, I just can't live with all these black people. So she said, um, <laughs> oh. And she looked at me like, is it? <laughs> so she said to me, i got something that might help you with that. So I said, oh, okay, good. Thinking she was going to move you to a place with white people. Yeah. I thought, oh, this is going to be fine. She's yeah. realised it's a problem. So she said, well, your father's black, so you're going to be fine. And I went, what <laughs> What the hell is going on here? So like I'd gone from the space of like no time at all yeah. to thinking I'm like, I didn't know, I didn't think I was black or white. That wasn't a thing. Yeah. That just, it wasn't a thing to think about. But now I'm an orphan. I don't, these people that are supposed to be my parents, not my parents, and now I'm black. What the hell is that? Yeah. So... So I kind of thought, okay, right, um, I'm black. I don't, I don't get that. So I came out of the room thinking, but I don't look like them. I'm not, I'm yeah. not black like they're black. I thought this makes no sense to me. Yeah. But then I did know my hair was doing this. Yeah. And I thought, this is a real problem. So anyway, um, about a week later, this lady was from Trinidad, right? So about a week later, there was this unidentified black man that came down the path of the house to the front door. And I just thought to myself, it's my dad. It has to be my dad because nobody, he's nobody else. No, black men don't come to our house. There's no yeah. point in doing that because we're all orphans anyway. Yeah. But he's found out where I am and he's and he come, come 
and this is I'm so this is so embarrassing to even say this and know that it's going to get published. But anyway, you're asking for a truthful story. I looked at this man and thought, I have to escape because he's going to take me back to Africa and I'm going to have to live in the jungle. I can't yeah. do that. I've got to go. Yeah. So I climbed out of the window, ran out of the house, climbed over the fence and ran up to Chase Farm Hospital to a farm and stayed on the farm all night. I didn't come back. Seriously? Yeah, I was terrified. I thought the man was going to take me to Africa yeah. and I didn't know what to I was like freaking out. So the next day I came back, there was fury. Where's he gone? Yeah. And I and I, it turned out it was Agnes's brother, sister Agnes's brother. Okay. So, but any time I saw saw a black man, I'd freak out because mm. I didn't, I just didn't know what didn't to do to about that. It. So, but then I, then what happened? It was 1970 then. So, then um, something amazing happened, and it changed absolutely the course of my entire life. I watched the World Cup, and Brazil won. Mm-hmm. And Brazil's star player was Pelé, right? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and suddenly I'm thinking, this black thing, this guy, this could work out, yeah, right? It's not so, so black, this, black. This could work out. <laughs> and then, then the Jacksons came, and I thought, yeah. this is sick. I'm going, I'm on this now. So yeah. I thought, right, forget the white thing. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going to do the black thing now. So yeah. I thought, right, I'm going to go full out, properly get committed to it. Yeah. So I went back to school in the. Um, I've started this new school in the in the September. This is in North London. Stuff. <laughs> yeah, this is in Enfield. Yeah. It's in George's Catholic School in Enfield. I started this new school in Enfield, and I was really good at football, right? Yeah. Properly good at it. But of course, when you go to a new school, they, you're, you're kind of yeah. like, there's the kid in the wheelchair left, and me, you yeah. know. And I'm going, like, you're seriously <laughs> not going to pick the kid in the wheelchair. And they're like, oh, God, I love you. So I was playing, and I was so upset because this guy called James Spicer. I still remember it to this day. It's so funny. He was the kind of the guy, you know, at the school. Yeah. Uh, he had, he was the captain of the other team and didn't pick me, so I was properly upset with him. Mm. And um, so I just tortured him. I killed him, embarrassed him, humiliated him, everything else. And anyway, there's one moment in the game where I just left him on the floor. It was like a whole Mo Salah thing. It was yeah. really properly <laughs> left his boy on his, on his backside. And he got up and he went, you effing black... Can I use yeah. bad language on your yeah, podcast? Yeah, you can just oh, say you, right. you effing black bastard, he said. And yeah. I went... And these words just went... And then my mind went... What? Yeah. And I, I and to be honest, I, the, the, I, I, each of those words just had, they just kind of cut me like blow, a yeah. knife. Yeah. I'm telling you, I had to be dragged off him by the whole school because yeah. I nearly killed him. And I think I was, it was such a reaction that that was my reality. My reality was mm. I was a black bastard and I just didn't, I didn't know what to do didn't about to that. Do with it, yeah. Because a couple of months ago, I wasn't. Yeah, your whole life was <laughs> I wasn't a black yeah. bastard. I was just this normal kid living this normal life Sorry. in this normal place in Surrey. So from that kind of, switch around moment I I thought wow um, that's serious and the thing about being brought up in an orphanage is it's like um, being brought up in an orphanage is a bit like being living in a gang mm. and you've got to figure shit out or you'll just get killed right mm. it's as simple as that rule, yeah. you'll just get killed yeah. it's just that straightforward and, and I wasn't really I just didn't get it I was I, I was I just didn't have the um, also you joined as a as a it's not like you joined from when you were three or whatever. You joined as a, as, a, as a fully whatever child, as a developed child. Exactly. And then you're like chucked in the deep end. So and I, it's just, I just couldn't manage it. It was, yeah. it was madness to me. So, but the other boys that were in there, and it's interesting you saying that, it's a really good, good observation because the ones that I would, I'm probably the closest to, um, there's two or three I still see now, they were, they were what we call Joeys. They were Joeys for life. So these kids were in there from... 
I'd have always been they, they didn't know nothing else yeah. they were born they were abandoned by their parents like me but they didn't have long-term fosters so they just went straight to the orphanage so that's how it was for them mm. and for them we've talked in fact we've talked about it we're we're, we're talking about writing a book about our experience mm. and um the the book's called sweet potatoes it's all about the idea of these uh you know the notion of playing with the idea of the caribbean food but also the fact we're irish irish okay. irish caribbean and we were talking about it not so long ago and they were saying that for them it was home for me it was always like yeah was this place yeah. is just mad so it was sometimes i say to people it's a bit like um there were times I felt like um, Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption. Mm. You know, everybody else is institutionalized. Mm. I'm like, but, yeah. why are these people doing this? This is rubbish. Why do these, why do these people take this crap? Because yeah. I just didn't make sense to me. Um, but, but the thing was, what was interesting was that it was, it was, it was very violent. And so you, you, you know, you, and I, you just, there was, there were three things that you could do that would be good. So if you, if you, if you could get girls, that was a, that was a plus. Yeah. Um, if you were able to play football, that was a plus. And if you could fight, that was a plus. I was good at the first, first two, two, but I was yeah. rubbish at the second one. But I got good at it because I had a vile temper. So yeah. after a while, I was tall as well. So yeah, you know, you get tall guy, yeah, yeah, so you're tall, and so you're really you, intimidating. Yeah, you yeah. get a bit of a pass. But it was it was tricky. But you just have to find out the rhythm, and you just figure out mm. if you're going to survive in an orphanage. You just you just got to you just got to toughen up. And and what happened with me was I was I was quite fortunate because. They used to, so they would, they separated us. So there was um, a boarding school in, Gla in Gloucester. Um, and essentially the boy, most of the boys went to the Gloucester boarding school. Now, I was supposed to go there and, and um, God, this story, this story is troublesome as well. So what happened was they, the, it was called Blaisden School for Boys. And it was, and I went there for a weekend because that was where they saw, sent troubled children. Um, and, the thing was, it's, well, I don't think we were troubled children. I just think we were children that were in trouble. I mean, you know, yeah, we, yeah. How, how are you not going to be troubled? Trouble, right? Yeah, exactly. We're how are you not going to be a troubled yeah. person? So, so I go to this um, thing for the weekend, and this was John Brown's school boys. This was terrifying. And I remember being in a place called the, called the infirmary. I had to sleep there the night. And all I could hear was all this screaming. It was absolutely terrifying. It was called the infirmary. It was, it was called the infirmary. It was terrifying. It sounds like, infer it sounds like hell already. It was it's got screaming. deep. Damn it, it yeah. was deep. Um, the thing, of course, what you what I haven't told you was I also had this really odd thing hanging over me, which was that when um, two really significant things my mother, foster mother had said to me that had kind of really gone in deep into my soul and I hadn't really talked about them, but they were really, they were always there. They were kind of, I could, they were kind of noise in the background. One was... Um, we had this supermarket called Budgins, which was like the big supermarket. Yeah, did you, did you all know that? Budgets, yeah, yeah, still, yeah. Budgets, so that was the supermarket. Yeah. And um, I'd been in there with her one day, and I dropped this huge, great thing of pickled onions she'd asked me to pick up, and she screamed at the top of her voice, mm. you always break everything. Mm. And and it kind of went in. It just yeah. sort of dropped into my heart, and it was like, so it became about, if anything ever went wrong in a relationship, I would hear her, yeah. you always, always break, break everything. everything. And then she'd said to me one day, she said, you, let me tell you, she goes, you will be in prison by the time you're 16 years of age. There is no doubt about that whatsoever. She said that to you when you were a child. When I was a child, right? And that was in my spirit yeah. as well. That had got hold of me as well. So, so, if I, so once, for example, I was out playing, just being a bit mischievous, playing out on the, um, a, on, we had this swing. We used to go across this little river, or well, river, brook or whatever it was. 
and I was on playing on the swing, just on my own, just you know, just doing my thing. And this policeman came on the bridge and shouted out, "Yai!" He said, and I literally fell from the thing Mm. and physically wet myself because that policeman meant that this this uh, prophecy of 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 was going to come true. And I I just didn't know what to do. I was and 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 so these things kind of in an odd way kind of just yeah they simmer with you. So now I find myself in this. Prison. This, yeah, it couldn't be anything. Yeah. There's no other way to explain it. And the infirmary is, as you say. So the morning comes, and it's a Sunday morning, and um, <laughs> we went there for breakfast, and there were these huge, great, long benches. I mean, you know, like literally John Brown school days benches with sort of 20 boys mm-hmm, on each mm-hmm. bench like this, and it was like this sea of benches. So I marched down to the end, and I meet this boy called Ray, and it uh, turns out Ray was from Joey's. and. Uh, okay. Ray, well, that Ray was a sad story because Ray committed suicide in the end, and that was a oh. that was a whole sad story. I did his, I had to officiate his funeral. That was a nightmare. Anyway, that, I'll maybe tell you about that. Yeah. So, so Ray said, "Just go and sit down there," and he said, "Just keep your head down." Now, so it was Sunday, which meant that you used to have wear a tie because that's that's like how Church we, day, yeah, yeah, that we would. That's it. That's how yeah. it was in the, my, in our little house. But we used to wear these clip-on ties. So you used to get from the co-op. <laughs> I had this little clip-on tie, and I sat there. So I'm sitting there opposite this boy, and his name is Uggy, this boy. And he said to me, um, we're starting to breakfast. He says, why are you wearing a tie? And I went, um, because it's Sunday. Mm. He said, do you take the piss? I went, no. You, I, I'm, seriously, you yeah. asked me a question. Yeah, I've That was the answer it, to the yeah. question. I don't understand why this is, I don't understand why this is complicated. Yeah. What, 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 what do you mean? So he goes, only puffs wear ties. Now, this is the second time I heard that expression, yeah. and I thought, I really do need to look this word up, Find because I don't know what it means, <laughs> but this is the second time I've heard this. So I went, and then he went, and there was this one other boy who was kind of just a bit further down, who was the only other kid in the entire refractory wearing a tie. Unfortunately for him, it wasn't clip-on, it was a proper tie. And he grabbed this kid by the tie, smashed his face on the dining room table. The kid's face just gave out. I was like in just total panic, right? Mm. The place was just about to kick off. This priest comes bounding across four or five of the dining tables, grabs this kid, Uggy, with one hand and one moment, headbutts him. The kid slithers down the f- onto the ground. And I thought, where am I? <laughs> this is like breakfast on a Sunday morning. Are you out of your mind? I'm like, a priest at that this <laughs> is deep. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I can't be, this is mad. I just got to get out of this place. Yeah. So, We'd, I survived breakfast, and then you go off to the prayer thing, and I thought, dear God, if ever there's a day to prayer, this is going to be it. Yeah. So, and then next thing you know, they take you. We're, we're going swimming. So, yeah, all right, cool. So they take you out swimming, <laughs> middle of this field, and they just go, okay, get changed, and you go, where's the changing room? Yeah. There isn't a changing room. Just get changed. She's like, am I missing something? Yeah. Is this is, is this some asylum? So we go out of there, then we go back and play football in this big pen place. And I tell you what, Demony, <clears throat> I love football. If I see a ball, that's it. I'm gonna I thought, mm. this is the first time in my life I had no interest in <laughs> yeah. playing football. I'd be like, is there a knitting class or <laughs> anything? I'm just hanging the car. I can't get involved in this. So I finally get out of there over the weekend and I said to the it was a man called Father Berry. I said to him driving home, I said, this isn't, I can't do this. I can't go here. It's going to be great. You're going to love it. It'll be a great place for you and all the rest of it. So my foster, second foster parents hadn't quite, um, had, were still here. They'd moved to Australia. 
And I took the 107 bus from, from Enfield up to Kingsbury and walked mm-hmm. up to their house and said, I, just, I, I don't know what to do. And I told this lady, Kate, what was happening. She said, right, she kind of coached me what to say. So I went back to the, to the home and I said, There's, I, th- I really appreciate you wanting to give me this good chance in my education, but to be honest, I think the place will be wasted on me because I don't think this is good. And I sort of talked yeah, to like you. Yeah, I did a yeah. whole proper you know, PowerPoint, everything. Yeah. I, I did the whole <laughs> thing. So they said, okay. Um, and they said, well, we think you should be going. And I said, well, you know, and I would put my argument. And they said, okay, well, what we'll do is we'll try you for a term at St. Ignatius, the Jesuit college. Oh, yeah, St. Ignatius. In, in Enfield. In Enfield, yeah. Running, yeah. So they sent me to St. Ignatius and I loved it. I love St. Ignatius and St. Ignatius loved me. It was just a fit. We just got on really well mm-hmm. and they left me there. And so I, so, so the point of telling you all of that is that the really, really tough boys yeah. went to the Blaisden. Yeah. So what that meant was it meant I had the run of the place until the holidays. Okay. When the holidays came, well, I was in charge. Yeah. But when the holidays came, it's all the nutcase got let out of solitary yeah, confinement. Yeah. And it was it was madness. Yeah. And so then it was tricky and, and it got really, really hard. And funny, Ray, who had looked after me, when he came back from holiday, heard me one day and he went he pulled me up and he said, Don't become like us. Yeah. He said, I remember when you came up to Blaston, you were the politest, well spoken boy. He said, Don't don't be like us. Yeah. But the point was, what he didn't realise was, you did what you did to fit in because... To survive, yeah. <laughs> of course. Survival. Of course. Yeah. So so we kind of got on with life. I had a, a nemesis, a boy that he and I had terrible, terrible, terrible troubles. And he used to come and smash the window and demand that I go out and fight with him and all the rest of it. Yeah. And then we ended up having this huge, great showdown, this big fight, and I beat him, actually. And um, he told me, interestingly, when we were 50, we were having dinner together. We didn't see each other much. And he okay. said to me... The reason I gave you so much trouble when you came to the orphanage was because as soon as you came, nobody was interested in me again. Mm-hmm. And it was like you took all the light all away. The shine, yeah. All the shine went, or you always had the girls were always with you, everybody was with you. And he said, Couldn't That happen. can't happen on my patch, you know. So he said, I had to do something about it. And so it was it was really interesting. Yeah. We had a really honest conversation about it. But um but you kind of find a rhythm, you know, you just make yeah. it work. And um and so I stayed in the orphanage there from 1970 through to 1977. And then seven in ni- years. Yeah, seven yeah. years. Then 1977, we came back to St. Charles Square and they gave us a, a place in the Crusader Rescue and we trashed it. It was a disaster. What, you and some of the other... The boys from the home, home. Yeah, yeah. And we just trashed the place. And it was the riot, the carnival riots were going on. When we arrived, we, okay. came, we left school in July. We just settled in. And then the carnival in 76, 77. 76 was bad. 77 was mayhem. And we were living here in 77. Tell, tell us about that, please, if you don't it mind. Was just crazy. I think often, which is kind of the part of the podcast, there's a lot of things we've heard about, so the carnival riots. But as as millennials, you, we, yeah, we, you've never spoken to anyone yeah, yet. So really, no, I don't mind at all. It's really interesting, actually, because when I go to carnival now, so yeah. I've got we've got a girlfriend who has a flat on Chepstow Road. Yeah. So we kind of go to her house and we sit out and watch these. And Hayley, my wife and I, kind of like, so normally there's a group of us. There's Neil, there's Garth Crooks, there's Hayley, there's a few of us who are all our kind of age. Yeah. And we kind of look at the kind of and go, <laughs> what is this yeah. thing, right? Because there's no black people. What's yeah, this about? Yeah, yeah. And when, when we used to go to Carnival, it was just police and thieves. That was it. There was nothing yeah. else. I mean, that's, that you would have heard that song, right? That Junior Marvin song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, 
that That's song was. was a real signature tune. So in those days, 76, 77, I remember Simeon, one of the boys, he was on the front cover of the Evening Standard. Oh, my God, it was a nightmare. We, we, we'd been staying here, and so where the um, Westway is, that used to, they used to have the... Do you know, do you know the Westway? So yeah, the, yeah, yeah, And so under the Westway, they have all those stout stalls and stuff. In, the, in those, when we were kids, they used to be the soul cages. So they used to, everywhere else in the whole of Grove, was was reggae, but the soul cage was over under the Westway, so we used to all go there because we were all the okay. kind of soul kids. So we would okay, all go okay. all go over there, and um, <clears throat> and the music was serious back in the day. It was it was amazing. Yeah. So we would all head over there, um, but to get from Westbourne Park to Labour Grove was okay normally, but when it kicked off, it was a nightmare. And so we were in the. I remember just remember being in the soul cage one one afternoon, and suddenly these, these bottles just start raining all over the place. Yeah. And you were going, what's that? And it was just it was just bedlam. It was just it. And what happened, or what seems to happen, is that the Kensal Rise kids who were a nightmare. Yeah. They would steam the carnival, so they would come at the start of the top, and they would just storm down and yeah. just s- do all the stick stuff and yeah. bags, and it was it was a nightmare. Anyway, by the time it, the evening fell, because those days, Carnival would start on a Friday night and would go through to the Monday. So it would be all night Friday, okay. all night Saturday. Back in the Caribbean. All, it, yeah. was, it was serious. Yeah. And so when it, as soon as nightfall, and the, so you can imagine, can't you, the nights fall, it's, it's 11, 12 o'clock at night, the sound systems were all going, yeah. the police are getting battered. It was, it was just... It was madness. <laughs> it was madness. But that's how we lived. We, that yeah, was, it was exciting. We thought it was amazing. Yeah, so I, I remember imagine. tracing my way from uh, from the west from Westbourne Park. I had to sneak my way around and you were like literally diving under the bottles trying to hide behind yeah. cars. Police were just bagging everybody they could. It was mental. And then we got into the, got back to, to Grove and all you heard all night was all the sirens going and the rest of it. And the next day we got up for work and it was because that was the Monday. The next day I got up for work and the place was just trashed. Trashed. And and what's so strange to me now is when I look at Lovett Grove yeah. and I see all these sort of pretty... Gentrified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like it's a different this place. This is Grove. Like there, was, there, there was front line up there when you used to go, where people used to go and you know do the drugs and all the rest of it. Yeah. And it was, it's just bizarre to me to think of this, being, this place being a, a wealthy place. Yeah. But it was weird for me because of course my life had started in a riot. Yeah. And now I was back here sort of 20, yeah. 17 years later living in a riot thinking yeah. but it kind of felt sort of normal in a way. I can just it's what It was knew, it was yeah. a bit weird, yeah, it's what we knew. And then then um the boys went and joined um something called Unity Housing. And Unity was a really good housing association. They had uh, it was a really cool place. But I that was for me where I I, I went back to Enfield because I couldn't really <laughs> I couldn't really get on with the whole reggae thing and it was such a reggae vibe up here. Mm. My um brother Simeon had a girlfriend called Elvira and I always remember uh, <laughs> I always remember coming to the flat one day and she walked in the house and um she was and she and she'd cooked chicken, right? And Simeon said, This is why I love this woman and he went I went, Why? She goes, Nobody but this girl can crutch a frozen chicken and you went <laughs> By this time, I caught up what it was about. Yeah. So this is what these girls would do. They yeah. would go out and they would go into supermarkets and they would be able to steal a frozen chicken, put it up their skirt and walk out of the supermarket. 
But these people were serious. Like these people were crazy, man. Yeah. They, and they would they would go to Bali and they would just take shoes and just they would just call it crutching. They would crutch the shoes and they would just Stick walk straight. Yeah, and they just walk straight out the door. And um, he loved this chicken. girl, chicken. Oh, fr- nice. No, not just a chicken, a by the way. Frozen one a as well. Frozen man. chicken. We're talking about. We're talking about a hardcore woman. And um, <laughs> she's serious, man. She was serious. But that's what it was like. It was just. Yeah. It was just an insane time of year. And all the music was really interesting. So it was like this really interesting soundtrack. There were these because all the boys when they came out of the orphanage, mm. they got they were they were locked up and all become rasta. Mm. So there was again we were kind of divided because I was the only one who was really hard on the soul, and the rest of them were all on the on on the reggae scene. Yeah. So they were, and there were songs out at that time like um, "I'm in Love with the Dreadlocks" and uh, mm. uh, and 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 there the were Marley had just come. He'd been there in '75, and we'd all just like, oh my goodness, yeah. to see. We saw his, we were at his first ever appearance in London. Oh, and that was like shout out to Uncle Bob. That yeah, the legend. Was, that was that yeah. was on that was next level. And the thing about Bob Marley back in the day was, if you were a woman in Lubbock Grove, you probably remember one of his children. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, that's what it sounded just, like. Yeah. He was just Bob Marley was just wrong. Yeah. Like, he was the best artist ever, but he was wrong. But yeah, he had a lot. He, had a <laughs> he lot was of serious, man. <laughs> and he came up and played at Acklam Hall there, and that was amazing. So I was in I was in Grove from seventy seven till about seventy eight, and then seventy eight. I thought. Do you know what? This 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 ain't gonna work, right? This this is this is gonna just get nuts. And I I was really wasn't in so it. Like, if, if you don't mind me asking, like, so no go. Obviously, that from everything you've described, you're just in a very crazy environment. Mm-hmm. And um, you'd said like even right from day one, you said when you got to the orphanage, everyone was out, and you realized afterwards that they were basically just running around robbing places and so on and so. Oh on. yeah, and I joined in. I was good at it. Yeah. Too. So it's well, well, I guess that's my question. Like, yeah, given all of that, like how? Because because you said that um, after the riots happening at carnival and stuff, you'd get up and you'd go to work. Like, how was it that? Or you even mentioned that you you realised this environment wasn't right for you and you wanted to go back to Enfield. How was it that you didn't get like so caught up in everything or did you? Uh, like, what, what was... I'd love to be able to give you a better answer than yeah. the truth. Yeah. But the truth is I was afraid. Mm. I just wasn't, I just wasn't wired for it. So, and, and they, we, we used to have a saying at the time which was, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. 100%. And I just, and I just, I, and remember now, you'll be in prison by the time you're 16. Mm, that's going on your... So I can't do... Exactly. I, can't, I, can't, no, I can't do time. So that's, yeah. that's just not going to happen. Yeah. So it would mean that I'd have to literally pull back yeah. and not get... So what I would do is I figured out how to... I, I figured out how to be involved without being involved. involved yeah. So I'd be on the fringe of stuff, but then I would spend most of my time, you know, with... Um, I, I'd be out... You, if you were with a girl... That's yeah. an alibi. You know, yeah. there's nothing to be discussed. You that like you're doing something sensible. So, or I'd be playing football, or I'd be working, or whatever. So, yeah. I would kind of didn't really get too involved in it. Yeah. Um, when we were kids and that, and we were in Enfield, when we used to go around and loot in the shops and do all sorts of stupidness, that I, that was just more like hijinks. That was just more fun to me. Yeah. Um, you're a teenager. Yeah, it's just it was just nonsense. Well. But I wouldn't do I wouldn't do crazy things. Yeah. Um, but what interestingly, what happened in the generation that went before mine? Those guys got in a lot of trouble. Most of those, you know, a lot of them went to Borstal, went to prison, whatever else. Mm. But my generation, um, they all became fathers while they were children. So we were like, so I was, my 
eldest daughter Chantal. Yeah. Uh, I was a father when I was just uh, literally just after my twentieth birthday, because okay. I didn't really have too much time to get into yeah, too much mayhem. So yeah. I left school when I was I I, I stayed on for an extra year because I wasn't. So when sixteen, we was we supposed to leave school. I stayed on for another year because I really wasn't ready to leave. So by the time I stayed on, everybody had moved out. So yeah. that also meant that I was now very much the the the, old, the eldest in yeah, the orphanage. So I so I could kind of set the rhythm of the place. Yeah. Um, and then um, I, we I went to the Grove in seventy seven. So seventy seven seventy eight I was in Grove. Then I went to um, Enfield. Then I went to Tottenham. And then I went to Crouch End. And then I met um, the children's mum. And then. What happened was I thought, oh, this is cool because that was that felt like going back to Surrey, going because this was in some little nice little suburb in East London. I thought, oh, this is gonna be really cool. So, but what I didn't realize was that the reason that she was fascinated with me was because I came from this troubled background. So we did this Got kind you. of we did this you know uh, exchange. I went yeah. back to being this kid that was grown up in Adelston, and she went and out she went to become some nutcase. And um, <clears throat> but then by that time, so now I'm I'm a father now. So now yeah. I'm. Now I'm a father. I'm kind of my whole vibe changed. So I'm not doing anything. I just want to look after my girl yeah. and take care of my daughter. And you know, and then we had another daughter. And so I was just into the whole provision thing. So, so as, it kind of just jumped out. I as kind someone of jumped that out. grew up in the orphanage, found out you were fostered mm. quite young. Mm. Um, what's it now like being a dad and having a family when you've not had a family? Certainly for seven, eight years, or however long it was. Um, or 10 years actually mm. um, and then even the family that you did have mm-hmm. you realised wasn't your family like did that ever play on your head was that, yeah. was that a big thing for you or? yeah yeah sure I mean it, it, I mean, the fatherhood is the thing is it, the being a father is the is the thing I'm probably proudest of of, mm. of of everything I've ever done or seen or whatever that's the thing I'm most proud of I'm most proud of the fact that um, my children who are um, the eldest is 38 and the youngest is 32. Mm. Um, oh, you popped them out. <laughs> but you see, part of that was because I knew that I had to completely be... Check, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so it, it was a, a whole... Focus on it. Exactly new, right. New project exactly almost, right. Yeah. And also we didn't have a television, so that was... <laughs> 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 but in all seriousness, I, the, because the girls, are they were old now, they're older yeah. now. And I think that... So I'm most proud of the fact that my... My children are my friends now, mm. and and that's that's amazing to me that you know I can go out of my youngest, like my you know my son lives in in Rio, uh, or my youngest girl. We she, any any of them actually. We just we go out as friends and we talk mm. and yeah. They, it's just it's it's a one. It's an amazing privilege. So, the but to go back to the core of your question, um, the thing that was interesting to me about Chantal, and I remember when she was born, she was born in um, Westminster Hospital, and. Um, Remember the, uh, the the midwife giving giving her to me and saying, oh, she's your problem now. I remember that very well. And I said, no, this is, you don't understand. She's not my oh, problem. This is, this is my pleasure. Mm-hmm. Because she was the first person I'd ever seen in my life who, who was related to me. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've never seen anyone that's yeah. my relative. But, she, but this child yeah. was, was, was yours. We were the same blood. And um, so to yeah. me, being a father was, was, was much more than I'm a daddy now. Yeah. This there is one person on this earth who's my relative. Yeah. And and that was deep. That went really deep. And and if you see us, if you see well, you know Chantal, you see yeah. you see me with Chantal, Haley will tell you, they don't even bother because those those, those two are together. It's like mm. there's like there's some sort of weird inseparable 
twin thing yeah. going on. It's very strange. But it's because this is my this is my blood, sure, right? And sure. and I've got four people or seven. I've got seven people in the world who are my blood. I've got my four children. Yeah. And I've got my three grandchildren. And those yeah. are they're 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 my of they're course Haley, but yeah. these these are they're yeah. my kin. And yeah. that's 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 deep. Particularly when everybody else around me was kind of like um not pretending that would be not right, but 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 were kind of we we were called my family, but they weren't my family. Mm. So that was really serious. So to so to be so to become a father meant that I had an opportunity, Damini, to um I guess I guess it meant to me that um I had an opportunity to kind of change to change the to change the narrative, to change mm. the story. Mm. So I was able to kind of say, um it was time for me to close down the whole thing with the the orphanage thing mm. and running with those boys and all that. Um, and even the clubs and all that whole world. Because we had a whole really interesting thing going on in our, in our social life. I mean, Hayley, uh, who's, who I've known since we, we've known each other since we were children, since we were 11. Oh, I didn't realise that. Yeah, we've known each other since very little. Because oh, wow. Hayley lived in a... She, we both live in Enfield. Hayley lived in, a, in there as well. So we, we, she and I have been friends since... Yeah, 11 years old we first met. Oh, crazy. And... Um, you know that whole scene because her brother is um, her her brother is a a guy. If you know the depending on how well you know the whole garage scene or the rest of it, her brother's a guy called Paul Trouble Anderson. Is her is her brother and he's like the DJ of DJs. If you talk about you know like Kiss FM and all that, yeah, yeah. he was one of the founders of Kiss and oh, he's wow. he's like top. So we need to get him on my podcast. You, you should you yeah, should no, get Paul that, on there, that, actually. Paul it, Paul is amazing. He's just mm. amazing. Um, he really is amazing, mm. and um, so we kind of came out of that whole world. Yeah, yeah. And, and so to me, to, so to me, it was just, it was just. I've got a chance to write a different chapter, yeah. and I was determined to write a different story for my children. And of course, in the end, you know, a lot of it was repeated because yeah. there was, you know, my marriage. Yeah, was a train wreck, and all sorts of things happened there, and that became very. Therein lay another story, and of yeah. course, you know about Chantal, and we had the whole. I was about to ask if you, yeah. if you don't mind, could you tell us about the file? No, sure. Yeah, yeah. So in um, so we were doing okay, you know. We were. She was four, and she had um, with three. She had Sham was four, Louis was um, two and a half, three, and then Fran was just born, and uh, it was eighth of September, nineteen eighty four, <laughs> and um, Lulu came running into the room, and she just said, "Dad, Daddy," she said, Wait, "Sorry, one second. What's wrong? Put the camera. Yeah. Oh, that's depressing." And you got another battery. Uh, you said the backup's on the tripod bag. The tripod bag is. Oh, don't do this to me, Paul. You've got such a great story, man. Yeah, this story is mad. It's like a film, bro. I'm doing it. I'm doing it right. Now. It's... Yeah, oh, you, you know, know everything he's talking about. Oh, you know yeah. these ends. Yeah, yeah, I'm from, I live on High Road, innit? But obviously, um, my mum lived in um, Westbourne Park first. Oh, did she? Yeah. yeah. And obviously, yeah, Notting Hill got family all over the place. Oh, so. okay. So these are your ends, properly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah man. Yeah, it's mad. Talk about the car- See, well, you talk about the carnival riots. Was that yeah. in Notting Hill? Or- mm. Yeah, okay. It's yeah, mad. 70. I mean, it, really, the right, the, the, it wasn't, didn't so much go up to Notting Hill. It was more on um, Grove. Yeah, main Grove. It was on Grove, and then it was up on um, Portobello. And then when you talk about Frontline, what was that, All Saints? Frontline was All Saints. All Saints, yeah, my yeah. dad always talks about it. <laughs> Frontline was All Saints. And there was a guy called, um, 
I'll tell you something mad, Damini. I'm listening. Um, uh, Uncle Wilbert. Yeah. He was the police officer that policed the Grove. Oh, for, I, know, I, knew he was from, I knew he was from West since then. No, I he, always he, wondered what the relationship his was. His whole thing was, he was the senior officer on the carnival. He was at the carnival since 1964. Seriously. And he was the one officer that could go on front line. There was a guy called Victor Critchlow. I'll show you remember about a guy called Vic, Victor Critchlow. <laughs> I've heard that name before. This guy was dread. Trust me, this guy was dread. This, this Critchlow people, they were like proper gangsters. And mm. you couldn't move drugs up there mm. unless you got permission from those people. And Wilbur could sit down with them. I remember Wilbur come and see me in my office and said so, to me... So do you know like everyone... You grew up around here as well, then? No, I was only here for Sorry, a couple of years. one second. I just want to let everybody on the podcast know because oh. you're still listening. Oh, We're just having camera trouble. <laughs> but <laughs> but this, conversation is, this conversation is so dope. We're just continuing. So if you're wondering what's going on, that's what's going on. And from, from what it sounds like, we're probably going to end up doing a part two with Paul because I don't know if we've got enough time to really get everything, but nevertheless, sorry. No, we're not going to do that. Don't worry, it's, it's fine. You might as well. I've seen that down. What phone you got? Do you, uh, do you, you have Do you have space for it? Yeah. Okay. It's better than no visuals, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's... Okay. Can you, can you put it on like, the tripod? Can, can you hold it? You said you can put it on the tripod. Right. Again, so we're, 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 excuse the excuse the technical difficulties, um, but I hope you're enjoying the podcast thus far. But go on, what were you yeah, asking? So it's so it mad. So so yeah. Mama would, would would be able to go into onto the front line, and this is the funny thing because yeah. you know Wilbur, are you so that's he yeah. was there from time, and they used to have the Carnival Arts Committee, and all the rest of it was down was there that time, and it was I don't know it was it was. The, those days were mad. Seriously, mm, those days. Were, yeah, those days were so your 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 mum was literally living on the Grove then, time. Uh, yeah, or West, Westbourne Park. Westbourne Park. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. there'd be a very good chance. Mm. I don't, would your mum be so? Not I'm 90, born 1960. So would would your mum be anywhere near my age? She's 1962. There's a very good chance that your mum will know. Um, she probably wouldn't know me because I because I wasn't here long enough. Yeah. But she would know she would know all the rest of the Joes. She yeah. Would, all, she would know there was like Philip and Simeon and uh, Ray and uh, Sayabu and all those guys. She would probably know some of yeah, those guys. Yeah, old, proper old school. Proper old school? Yeah, it's one way or right. That's amazing. That's, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, those were the days, man. Those, those, were, those were the days. But Grove was hot then, and um, but we were the thing was we were we were really interested in 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 the um in the soul scene, and the soul scene was crazy those mm-hmm. times. So we would do. Would, you, would your mum have been soul or reggae? Reggae, so everything. You see my mum, yeah, she plays everything, but obviously mainly reggae. My dad obviously reggae is all. The what soul soul music. Do you know what I'm saying? They're proper into the. Like I was I grew up around music. Do you know what I'm saying? Like uh, yeah, yeah. Course. My dad all had the sound system at home. All mad. Did he play out your dad? No, he didn't play out. But he'd always be at the sounds. But at home, he had his own big sound system. You know? Oh, okay, he, cool. He wasn't meant to have these things in your house. Like, they're, 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 they're <laughs> yeah, they had them anyway. anyway. You're not meant to have those things, but that's what. You, so I've always grown up around music. And that's stuff. amazing. Yeah. I guarantee you would know my brother. So your mum would know. I yeah, guarantee yeah, my mom, my mom, it. Yeah, my mum knows. I guarantee so. it. I guarantee it. Because they were everywhere. If she, if you ask her, she knew knew, knew Unity. Because Unity. Unity was the big house where they all they all lived. Yeah, and that's when I moved out and, and went back to went back to North London, and um, we lived for a while on. This, um, this thing is my camera's very good, so I'm just gonna. Apologies, everybody, for the technical difficulties. I might just edit you know, this out. Yeah. 
that's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll edit it out. Oh, yeah, you can just edit all that stuff. Yeah, I'll just edit it out. Yeah, because I was thinking, yeah. All right, sorry, sorry. Just tell your dad it doesn't matter. It's fine. Just use this. Okay, all right. So are you lot, are you lot all family, yeah? We're like really close yeah. family friends. Oh. He's the pastor of our church. Okay. Which is yeah. quite worrying, isn't it, when you think about it? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's not so much yeah, time. Take that, take that time. 54 minutes, isn't it? It's all right, I'm going to listen to the whole yeah. thing anyway, oh, so I'll just going to chop it up then. All right, so where were we? We were talking about... Um, I what we started talking about. Talking about fire. Tell us about the fire. You were about to tell us about. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So that's right. So, um, so it's 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 September 1984. Yeah. Louisa comes running into the the room. Said, "Daddy, daddy, the the fire. There's a fire." And um, so I went ran into. I kind of like what I ran, I ran into the bedroom. Um, just went open the door, thinking, "Oh, fine, you know, there's a fire." Um, and got smashed back down the landing. Right, yeah. couldn't get in. Couldn't get in the room. And I was like, oh, my God. And so it was really weird. I was thinking, what, what should I do? And the, the only thing that occurred to me, and this is so, so stupid, but it was the only thing that occurred to me was, like, there was a film called The Towering Inferno, right, with Roger Moore was in it. And I remember in the film, he got this sheet, and he wet the sheet and put this wet sheet over him and was able to get these Morning, people. Yeah. So I thought, oh, let me go and get a sheet. Let me go. And I thought, you ain't got time for this foolish issue. Yeah. Your child's in a bedroom. Yeah. Like, so I just went back in the room and just called out to her, and I heard, and she 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 cried, "Daddy, daddy!" And I just 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 keep talking, and and I found her. She was in the corner of the room. So, you can't see. I'm assuming. Can't see anything. Yeah, can't see and picked and we picked her up and took her out of the room, and we got downstairs and stood outside, and her little face, oh, it, was, it was horrifying. But she was just burnt from the top of her head to her feet. It was unbelievable, and um, I was just. Hysterical, mm. and um, the ambulance, the fire engine had just arrived. It was just coming, and then suddenly I thought to myself, "Where's Frankie?" And the little one was still in the house, so oh, I had to wow. go back in the house. Um, but Frankie had her own bedroom because she was little, so she was in the nursery. The girls were together, and she was in her nursery, and the fire hadn't got there. So I managed to get her, bring her downstairs, and then the fire brigade came, and then we went off to. Um, well, it was all the trauma. The ambulance took the, took her away, and they took her to um, Mayday Hospital in Croydon. In Croydon. Yeah, that's where we lived. So we lived oh, there in Croydon okay. in those okay, days. Okay, okay. So they took us out to Mayday Hospital, and um, they did a horrible. They they didn't know what they were doing with her, and then they quickly transferred her to the Burns Hospital, which is uh, in Roehampton. Okay. So we went to Roehampton to Queen Mary's, and then we're getting up to Queen Mary's Hospital, and. Um, so this is Chantal. You have to know Chantal to understand this story, mm. but she's four. And I, I ran in the room and she said to me, she was all bandaged from head to toe. She was literally mummified. And she said, um, she goes, Daddy, are you okay? I went, Why are you asking what's wrong with you? Why is that it's even a like question? question? <laughs> yeah. And then she said, is mum okay? Is Lou okay? Is Francesca okay? And I'm like, are you okay? <laughs> like, can we talk about you? Yeah. And so I told her everybody was all right, and I sat with her, and she goes to me, um, she said, uh, <laughs> that's probably made me cry telling you, she said, um, Daddy, she goes, I love you so much, she said, that when I get out of here, I'm going to go and get some jelly tots, and you're going to have them with me with my pocket money. And I was like, <sighs> and she's 
And it's, it's crazy. I've had to turn bandages at times oh, as well. Crazy. And we had this, I remember there was a child in the room opposite her. Oh, little boy. He, they, were, he, they were Jehovah's Witness family. Mm. And they wouldn't take any... Um, Blood transfusions or any of that. And this kid screamed and screamed and screamed and screamed until he, went, until he knocked himself unconscious. It was, it was just unbelievable. But that probably for me was the was the probably the hardest thing I've ever experienced in my life because this is my little girl, yeah. Right, this is my little girl, right? Every you can do whatever you want to me. I don't care about that. But this is yeah. my daughter we're now talking about, and that was really when the whole because because we'd been raised as Catholics, so mm. I was in a Catholic Crusade of Rescue to Catholic orphanage, mm. and then um, going into the um, Going into this, the orphanage was a Catholic home where I was raised by nuns. And then I was at, the school I got to was a Jesuit school. So, you know, we've really been raised as hardcore Catholics. Um, I remember winning the religious education prize, ironically. Um, but now I'm like, really? Yeah. Uh, so I'm having this serious yeah. crisis what is, saying, What is God? How can he allow what me? What is up with God? Because, like, like either, either. There are some rules that I don't understand, and I obviously mm. have seriously pissed him off in such a massive way that every time I do anything, he He's seems to, to like want to. Yeah, exactly. And by the way, when Shan was in the hospital, the first thing I heard in my heard in my ear was, "You break everything." I can imagine. And I'm like thinking, so I'm just in trauma. Yeah. So I've got this stuff that I'm kind of walking around with, and I've got this little girl who's my life, and she's you know losing hers, and. Um, I just thought, well, it just doesn't make sense to me. If this, if, how can God be, like, how can anybody be serious about yeah. God being compassionate? It's one thing to say, okay, I'm going to put you in an orphanage. So maybe I did do something to upset him. Yeah. But what does she do? She's four. Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. Did she just have the misfortune of having to be tied to me? So therefore, yeah. she's got to get it too. Yeah. Um, and that was a massive, massive problem for me. I just was totally tripped. I can imagine that you start taking. Not start, everything becomes personal almost. Very personal. Very personal. And, and I just didn't understand it. And I went to see um I went to see the Catholic priest. Yeah. <laughs> and I said to him, I must have been uh, the poor man, now I think about it. What a, what chance did he have? I went to see him and I said he said he said, What would you like to talk to him about? I said, I don't want to talk to you about your God. So he said, mm. Well, first of all, he's our God. I said, Well, I'm not so sure about that. And mm. I and I went through this whole thing and explained to him and I said, So what? And the guy said, like another cup of tea. I saw, so what, but what can you, you, say? Yeah, what can you yeah. say? So I went out of there and I was really angry. And then, funny enough, what had happened was it's really weird because after that, I was everywhere I bumped into was some kind of spiritual advisor wanting to advise me about something. Mm. And within the space of about six months, because Chantel was in hospital for a long time, so I used to go every day backwards and forwards. We lived in. Um, Thornton Heath and then we got moved because the house burnt down we had to go and have the house all done so we were living in Crystal Palace and she was in Roehampton so I was going into work which was in Victoria and I was supposed to be selling and I just I, I wasn't there I just couldn't get yeah. it I just couldn't deal with it at all and um, <laughs> although funny enough there was an insurance company called the Commercial Union and they had their thing was you never make a drama out of a crisis and the weirdest thing was that I I, no, I sold insurance that was my job and I remember on the End of August, I thought, I really should take out this household insurance. I mm. took out the household insurance. The policy was issued on the 1st of September, and the house burned down on the 8th. Wow. So 
I didn't know what happened with it. And yeah. they dealt with, they were amazing. They were oh, absolutely thank amazing. God for that. So anyway. Thank God for that. Uh, yeah, I'm telling you. So, so, um, so between that, I was kept bumping into all these people. So I was met this spiritist bloke who worked with me and he said, oh, I've got to take you to this. Uh, you've got to come over to see me. You'll have this lovely evening you'll have me. So I found myself in, uh, what was that place called? Um, Northwood Hills. I found myself in Northwood Hills in this, with this spiritist at a seance. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, what's what? going on? <laughs> so, then how did I get here? Uh, right, uh, <laughs> I get here? Until this, and then, then he goes, hang on, someone's here. And then in the seance, right, if you please, my foster father turns up in the seance and starts saying stuff that nobody could possibly have no, known. It's yeah. just not possible for anybody who's known this stuff. So starts talking to me about all this weird stuff and I'm like, <laughs> what? So then I went from there and then another friend of mine said, who was my boss, said, I think you need to come. I, you, you, I, I really think that you are born destined to be a Mormon. And I went, all right. So he took me off to this to this church of the whatever it was, Latter Day Saint, yeah, and it was it was every week. I was off for somewhere, yeah. but I was just searching for searching someone. For yeah. Something, yeah, and then eventually, <coughs> funnily enough, I ended up with two friends of mine. Um, really funny, um, who I would listen to. One's a, one was a football, another. Oh, in fact, you um, David Grant, who was one, yeah, and um, Garth Crooks, who was at, was with Spurs at the time, and said, um, "Come have lunch with us." And we're gonna have like we have lunch every Sunday after church. And I went, okay, where's your church? And they went Notting Hill. Yeah. So I back came to up. Square to, one. Yeah, back to yeah. square one. So I ended up at um, there was a big church up in Notting Hill called Kensington Temple, and yeah. I ended up going up there to meet them for lunch. And um, we went and had lunch afterwards, and we ch- on um, Pembridge Villas, and we were there for about seven hours in this restaurant because I've got enough questions. You think you asked a lot of questions? I had yeah. enough questions. Yeah. And eventually they brought one of the pastors over and he came to talk to me and all the rest of it. And then they told me something. And I thought, okay, I'm in. They told me that, in fact, it was really, yeah, gosh, that was a funny story. Gosh. Anyway, they told me that this God that they worshipped was a healer. And I went, all right. So do you like, does he heal anything? Yeah. <laughs> I went, yeah, yeah, this God heals everything. He can, he's, uh, you know, he's this, there's some of his big story about God heals this. And I thought, oh. So I thought, so if I go to, if I, exactly, yeah. if I sign up to this church, God's, this Catholic God doesn't know used to me, but yeah. this God apparently is going to heal us. So I turned up to the church and said, what do you got to do? And, um, I, you know, they, sort of, they, they gave me the list and, you know, turn up, come to a midweek prayer meeting, do this, do that. Bible school. Yeah, I do that. It goes and went through the whole thing. And I, just, and I was doing it for one reason and one reason only that he would heal Chantal. That mm. was the only thing I was interested in. And I, the, interestingly, uh, he healed Chantel from the inside out. Mm. It was an amazing thing, but it was the thing that got my attention. And, mm. you and know, that's what got you into yeah. the church. Yeah. Um, so also, sorry, if you don't mind me... T- no, go away. If you don't mind me taking a step back. No, no, that's um, I understand that shortly after the fires, when you and your wife at the time got divorced, mm. um, I, I've never really known too much about it. I don't know if you want to talk about it, but besides that, what was it now like... Because I know certainly in your book, and from what I understand, you then became a single father, and you were the one with the kids. Yeah. So what was, again, it's almost like tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy. It just so wouldn't stop. It orphanage, was orphanage, you leave the orphanage, you get married, yeah, like you get married, things seem to be fine, mm. you're focusing on a new life, you're focusing on everything, then there's a fire, your oldest daughter almost dies in it, um, and then... 
whatever happens with your wife, your wife leaves you, and now you've got four kids to raise by yourself. If you don't mind, could you tell us a bit about that? Um, just fatherhood in general, being a single father, that's not really something we hear about. Yeah, often, no, it's, it was weird. Mothers. It was weird. I mean, the, the thing was that, that what had happened was that the girls, uh, my, our children's um, birth mother was a, was a pop star. Okay. And um, so, rather than you know embarrass her or anything, she yeah. went. Up, she was. She. She. A friend of mine said something really interesting <coughs> to me once. He said, when she was in completely out of control, he <coughs> said to me, "You got to remember, she's music business now." Mm. And 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 that was very. That, that I, I was clear what that meant. Mm. I was absolutely clear. Um, and actually, the reality was, it was it was it was it, it, it was it was a train wreck. It was horrible. Mm. I've never spoken publicly about it, that actually, so I kind of it's okay. You yeah, I kind of. I mean, I don't mind talking. Say, yeah. I, I, I don't mind talking about it privately, but I kind of yeah. feel a little bit anxious about talking about that privately, publicly. But anyway, it wasn't a good situation. Mm. So we went through a whole thing in the courts, and eventually it was back and forth, back and forth, and then I ended up having custody of the children. So now we're living in um, a place called Old Causedon, which is up in um, Purley, in the in the top end of uh, sort of towards Gatwick out that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, we had a really interesting little life. We were like, but we were like the railway children. You know, it was like this sort of straight. It was mm. odd, really, where the the girls had. You know, there was, there was. We were back to being the only black people in the area again. Yeah. Golf course at the back of our house and all the rest of it, and it was all wonderful. And we were doing well, I was working hard and all this. Um, but that got tricky, and um, obviously raising four children on your own is yeah, really difficult. Three girls as well. Yeah, so I'd have to bring them down to down to Westbourne Park to yeah. see that, to get the, to have their hair braided because their yeah, their yeah, hair yeah. was coming like they were like rusters. They were <laughs> they were those girls looked like oh my goodness, those girls looked like I don't know what by the time I'd finished with them. Poor mm. Paul, and so I used to, Auntie Gillian used to take and comb their hair, and she said. Boy, these girls have got such nice hair. What are you doing to these children? <laughs> they were like, there was, yeah. So we got that figured out. But then, thank God, thank God, um, Haley arrived and mm. uh, she just. Yeah. And, and as you said, that's a, that's been a childhood friend. So how did that? I mean, you were friends. Yeah, we were really. Yeah, yeah. So we, but you'd always been close. Yeah, how yeah. did that all? Oh, it was mad. So um, we were doing these. We were doing these raves. So we used to do these. We were doing little clubs and night nights and stuff. Mm. And a friend of mine, and. Um, so one night we, we were doing, we were doing a, there's a place in Camden called the Electric Ballroom. Yeah, I know the Electric Ballroom. Uh, so yeah. we did, we were doing a night there and, um. It's funny, I'm doing nights now as well. It's mad, that's, isn't it? that's another topic. Yeah, it's, it's just crazy. So we were doing a night at the Electric Ballrooms and, um, I'd been kind of fiddling around because I had lots of friends that were, I don't really know why, but I had lots of friends that were in either music or sport mm. or whatever else. Anyway, so David, who I was doing the gigs with rang Paul, Paul, Paul Trouble Anderson, and said to Paul, you know, we, can we book you to do this gig? Paul said, Paul was at Kiss. He went, yeah, 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 no problem at all. So he said to Haley, he said, um, oh, Hayes, drive me to this, this event. In fact, why don't you come? So she said, oh, I don't want to go to the club, blah, blah, blah. She goes, no, you'll like it, you'll like it. Um, it's Paul Walsh is doing it. So he went, she went, you remember Paul, don't you? She mm. goes, yeah, Paul, yeah, 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 of course. So anyway, she came, up, came to the thing with her, with her friend. And um, she came in, and I didn't, I, I didn't even recognise her. Mm. So she, um, and Paul came in, she, and I was standing there doing something over, and she came up. She just started chatting to me. And she goes, and I thought this girl's familiar. Yeah. And the one thing I thought as soon as I saw her was, I didn't know who she was, I didn't know what she was doing there, but the one thing I thought when I saw her was, I'm going to marry this girl. From then. 
I just saw her and I thought, I'm going to marry this girl. And you've been married for how long now? 30 years. Crazy. And Crazy. she started talking and, then she, and it was a smile. She just smiled. She's got this little mischievous smile here and this mm. little twinkle in her eyes. She said, um, she said to me, she goes, don't remember me, do you? And I was proper embarrassed because mm. she obviously knew who I was and mm. I didn't know who she was. And I was like, um, keep talking. So she kept going <laughs> on for a bit. And I went, oh my God, it's Hayley. Mm. And she went, yep. She went, but she was... She's like a this beautiful woman now. She mm. was this little girl when I knew. Mm. He's just like mucking about. He's climbing trees, acting yeah. stupid, running around the place. Um, but the funny thing was, um, <laughs> the funny thing was, when we were fourteen, I remember I really wanted to go out of her when we were when we were kids. But she went into that stupidness, and I didn't have no time for girls who weren't doing that because that I, mm. I, I'm 14. I ain't got time for virtue. I need to get, yeah. you know, what I'm saying. <laughs> so to get a business. Done. I need to get stuff. That's what I'm saying. So this virtuous woman, man, that's see, she might be righteous and all the rest of it, but that weren't my vibe right there. So I need to just get it done. So anyway, so there were plenty of girls that were okay with that. But um, and the other problem was Haley's brother would have killed me, so that wouldn't have been good either. Yeah. So so I had to go easy with Haley and. Um, but I just knew it. I just knew I was going to mm. get married to her. And the really weird thing was, she came to the house. I remember her coming over to the house early. And I said to her, I mean, she didn't have children of her own, right? So this is now a guy she hadn't seen since she, since she was Charger. 16 or whatever. And and now... Yeah, How old are you? Are you 28. Okay. And now she's coming to the house. And uh, the, I've got these four children and all this other stuff. And she, I remember she came and she had four fingers of fudge with her. I remember it. She came and she went... She came in the house and she was really amazing with the kids. And I was in the kitchen kind of pretending to make dinner. I don't know what the hell I was doing. Yeah. And um, they were kind of came out one after the other. And um, Chantel came out first and she said to me, I like her. Mm. She went back in the room. Then the little one came out, Francesca came out and says, Dad, I've got an idea. I said, what's that? She goes, I think you should make Hayley our mum. Oh, so cute. And I'm like, seriously? Mm. And she went, First confirmation, I yeah. think she should be our mum. And then the little one, Louisa came out, she goes, Hey, can Haley stay? And then Paul Paul just adored her from the first day. Mm. And, so, and, and it was really, and, and it was just like, uh, there was the beginning, like for the first time, there was this beginning of thinking, maybe there's some hope. Mm. Do you know, it, it was there was a mm. long way to go and we still had a long way to fall, to mm. be honest with you. Um, Shani was only seven. She was still wearing a face mask and, we had all of the, you know, we lost everything. The, the, the oh, we lost everything. Lost the house. Lost everything, and we were literally at ground zero. It was like I was mm. thirty years of age and financially about twelve years old. It was just mm. awful, and we had to start everything again. And it was, it was horrible. It was just a disaster. But Haley, um, and people don't really know this, and she should be honoured for this. I mean, she was doing, she was doing three jobs. Looking after the four children, managing, holding down three jobs, not having children of our own. But I mean, this mm. woman, I'm telling you, if you want to know what it means to be, you know, touched by an angel, it was yeah. just amazing what she's done. And she's just for 30 years just stood and believed and, and kept believing me when she's been serious, mm. Daniel. She's been just amazing. Um, but we got through, you know, it took, mm. it was, a, there was a lot of, as I said, there was still a long way to fall um, financially. We, it was calamitous. And uh, we had just to do it all over again and step by step by step. And then I just started to get things moving. And I was doing okay. I was doing all right with the, because um, I'd started a, um, a sports consultancy. We were doing 
starting to work with managed players and that. And uh, we had a financial services practice, which was really interesting. And we had players like, um, oh gosh, Dwight York, mm. J- uh, Justin Fashion, you, uh, oh, wow. or some really uh, uh, Hugo Hugo Ekiod that just yeah. recently passed away, and some Bosnich, and we had all really interesting players. And we were just starting to build that up. And um, I thought to myself, and I came home one day and I said to Haley. Um, so I need to talk to you about something. And she went, go on then. And I said, I think I want to give up business and go to Bible school. And I just decided to stop. So I, so she's like, okay, that's fine. Right. And of course I wasn't really thinking about the, yeah. I just had had this, you know, I was yeah. still on my healing thing, right. I was still on that trip. And, um, so I kind of gave up the business and let that go. And in fact, they're still going now. They, they, they moved it into an agency. They manage about, Gosh, 80 or 90 players now. It's amazing oh, wow. the business. And funny enough, what's really interesting actually is that um, what's really interesting how these things come all the way around is that um, I've now connected my ex-business partners with, with my son who is now managing players in Brazil. So he's got, we've got, oh, the, yeah, so it's really interesting. So, they, so they're going to be, yeah, anyway, it's a, it's a, yeah. Nice, it's a nice story. So anyway, um, so that was it, yes. Yeah, so I gave that up and, and went off to so, went off to Bible school and, and decided to live by faith, which was the most ridiculous thing I've ever done in my life. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I kind of wanted to ask about that then. So obviously, again, like I'm still trying to wrap my head around your life, to be honest, up until this point. But <clears throat> all of this madness has happened. Mm-hmm. I'm calling it madness. It's such no, an it's what it was. It was madness. It's an understatement. Yeah. But all this madness has happened and... As you said, you've kind of you're kind of searching for an answer. You're searching for for a per, a reason, a purpose almost. And um, as you said, your friends were talking about Katie and telling you to come along to that church, and that's where you'd find healing, or that's the God of healing. Um, and obviously, you're thinking about Chantel, but I'm also sure, whether consciously or not, you're also thinking about yourself as well. Um, how does how do you go from that to now I want to join Bible school? Obviously, I know you now, so I know I, I know that you've gone around the world setting up churches. I think Finland, Brazil, mm. America, all over the gaff. Mm. So how how do you go from all of that? And especially as someone that's dealt with so much tragedy to become evangelist supreme, like the person who's who's on who's on on this thing. So yeah. Um I think the thing that in a way, I wish I hadn't made 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 the name mentioned the name of the church because because what the the answer to your question actually doesn't leave them in a good light. But actually, in fairness to them, let me say that the let me say that the environment is agnostic. It's how you behave in the environment. It's like saying it's like saying oh you shouldn't go to nightclubs. Well, but why? Mm. Uh, well, because you just shouldn't. Well, why shouldn't you go to nightclubs? Yeah. Well. There's nothing wrong with nightclubs. Night it's, how, it's how you behave when, when you go there, to a nightclub. Yeah. Do you see what I mean? So, 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 so on that basis, let me let me make the point that it's like going to a nightclub. Yeah. It's not. There's nothing inherently wrong, wrong with a nightclub. Yeah. It's, and there's nothing inherently wrong with nightclubs. But if you decide to go to the nightclubs and be an idiot, well, that's because mm. you're an idiot. It's not. Be- mm. It's not because there's something wrong with the nightclubs. <laughs> just because you're an idiot. Mm. And um, so, so, so with so for me, the idiocy that I was caught up with was that. I had this idea that the the game they seemed to be playing in this church was kind of God and me, and there were certain things that you could do to make kind of you more on point and on side with God. 
mm-hmm. and 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 the thing that I wanted more than anything else, Danny, was it was I was driven by this absolutely obsessive need to not be rejected. Mm. So so I went into an environment that was set up. It was just like crack to to someone mm. like me. It's like crack because you go. This is how you get accepted in this church. You join the mission team. You do this. You do that. You do, so. So I just you straight into the veins. Mm. I mean, it's like, hello, this is like acceptance heaven. I'm like a junkie for it. Yeah. And, and I was good at it. And I was, you know, so I would just get into it. So what happened was that I got to, um, I got to 1999. I'd given up business. Uh, I'd gone into the Bible school because it was the acceptance route. And I was going to be the best at it. And mm. this was like, hello, why is this like, who, who doesn't get how to do this? Mm. Um, and I, I, I went to the school, I started at the school, went straight through the school, and they offered me a job. And I thought, oh, yeah, no-brainer. So I took over the running the first-year students. Then I that knocked that out of the park. Bear in mind, not because I'm good, because I'm obsessed. If I decide I'm going to do something, and it looks like a route to acceptance, I'm all in, right? Yeah. So um, three years later, I was the head of the school. So I'm running the school now. And then I was asked to go on this trip to, um, to Brazil. And the problem was that things were starting to, even I couldn't overlook the the level of, um, I'm really sad to say this actually, and it doesn't, and I don't want to say this, I don't want in any sense sound vindictive, because maybe things are different now, but mm. this, in this particular moment, this mm. is what it was. Uh, the level of spiritual abuse that people were suffering in this place was just unbelievable. Mm. And it reminded me of being in the orphanage. Mm. And I'm like, wait a minute, because we used to have the kids abused like day after day after day after day. The nuns would abuse. It was just unbelievable. It was unbelievable. We were all groomed one way or another. There was a guy that used to be was who who had targeted me for grooming as a kid. Uh, it was just horrifying. So these stories you're seeing now about you know the Barry Bennells and all yeah. these. So this was it's standard. Was, yeah, and the kids in the orphanage, were like, who? No one gives a shit about yeah. them. So they, we, anyone could just walk in, abuse the kids. What the hell are you like? No one, no one cared. And the nuns were doing it for God's sake. It was a mm. nightmare. So now I'm in now I'm in this church, and they're, they're doing the same stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. Not not sexual, not but, abuse, but, but spiritual. And yeah. it was like, what? And so that just tripped me. I just lost my mind over it. And I thought, well, I couldn't do anything about this when I was a child, but I sure as I ain't putting up with this now. Anyway, I went away to this big event, and um, I was in Brazil. And they, was this, they had these, used to have these amazing sort of times of this ministry stuff, you know, and they would all pray for everybody, and all this stuff would apparently happen. And um, they would, what they would do is they would call the, 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 the ministry teams to go and sort of pray with people and all that. So... Uh, this call came to do that and I just got to get up just being obedient, right? I got up to get up and I just heard probably maybe for one of the most clear times I've ever heard the Lord in my life. I just heard the Lord say, stop. And I was like, what? And and, all the, and it, it was like being back in the carnival. It was just mm. like being back in the carnival riots. It was all, all this crazy stuff going on. And I just ended up kneeling on the floor. I remember it now, like it was yesterday. It was 1999. I was kneeling on the floor, and I saw this picture, right? And the picture was me wearing a like Hugo Boss suit, blue, with a book under my arm, and a big smile. I was the guy, you know. And next to me was a picture of Haley, 
looking like Billie Holiday on the worst day mm. of her life. For those who don't know, Billie Holiday is a very famous singer in America. She had one of the most <coughs> dreadful lives as well. Um, unbelievable. Horrible life, but she was a very, very soul singer. Yeah, would I mean, she would be the forerunner to the, she would be the Whitney Houston of her day. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And she was, she was astonishing, but she had a terrible, terrible yeah. life. You know when Tupac says, then some lady named Billy Holiday came. She <laughs> was the girl. Anyway, yeah. She was, she was a great singer. Yeah, yeah amazing singer, yeah. And um, she, um, and this picture was, a, was, was, was withering. And, then the picture changed, and there was Haley looking like Whitney Houston on the best day of her life. Mm. And I heard this voice say to me, "How much is too much for you? Mm. Where, where's his end? Mm. Right? You, you, you're going to sacrifice your wife, your children. Well, so these people will accept you? Are you serious?" Mm. And I'm like, "Oh my god!" And then I just said, "You know what? This has got to stop." So I went back to the hotel, and I remember being in the hotel that night in Sao Paulo, just thinking, this this thing's over. Went back home, sat the children and Haley down, and literally, <laughs> forgive the language for your or for your uh, listeners, but literally repented to them. I just said, mm. I'm so sorry. Um, went into the church, met with the, the, the pastor guy, and that was a train wreck, and um, left. Mm. So, well, I say left. Uh, I had to work out my notice. So that was that was uh, that was December. So I, I had to work through the school year. So I left in left in July. So I had to play this out for seven months over the, until July, and I couldn't say anything to anybody. And it, yeah. it, it was really horrible. Actually, at the end of it, it was so so awful. But that's another story. Um, so we left, and in July. And then we took a little bit of a break. And then I felt like, do you know what? I'm going to, the thing I felt really strongly that God was saying to me was, so I want you to, and this will make sense to you when I tell you this now, I want you to, to two things we don't know, right? Number one is, we know that white people, black people will go to a church that's led by white people. We know that. Mm-hmm. But what we haven't proved is whether white people will go to a church that's led by black people. Mm. Well, we don't know that. Because black churches are very excluding, yeah. right? unless you can clap hands and do all that nonsense yeah. and <laughs> wear a hat and come in the minibus and all that foolishness. Nobody knows what you. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody gets it. Right? Even black people don't get yeah. it. Right. <laughs> so, um, so that was one thing. And the other thing was, uh, and can you, can you, grow a church by grace alone and nothing else, just mm. by grace? So we, so we, so we followed that, and we started a little work in Chiswick. And it blew up. It went crazy. Mm. It went mad, and we people were coming from all over the place. And it was it was fantastic. And that was two thousand. And then, um, yeah, that was two thousand. And then very quickly, people were saying, "So this grace thing, what's all this about?" Because it was you know people weren't really talking about that mm. then. I mean, people talk about it now, I guess, but a lot more. But then, so then you know, so we were traveling. So I was going a lot to Brazil, where I was doing a lot of work in Brazil because what I had is I had a lot of students that were coming, and this was really one of the blessings. So was it like a Bible school in Brazil, or what exactly? So, so we had a church in Chiswick, yeah. and then we had like a Bible school that we're meeting in Chiswick. So we had a little group. Yeah. But the the interesting thing was I was running a Bible school in the previous church, and they okay, were from everywhere all over the world. Okay. So they were coming to me going. And they, they were leaving, going back to Finland or going back to Norway or going back to America or going back to Brazil. And they were saying, Paul, please come, please come. Okay, so I was then responding and going to, those, going to those countries. 
and um, was setting up little house groups and and there was and basically what was happening was in straightforward terms there were so many damaged Christians all over yeah. the place people that were just busted yeah. and they were just like they they loved they they loved God but they just didn't love church and they just couldn't make any sense yeah. of it and so I was giving them the the the, the uh, an ability to be able to re-engage with their faith yeah. but to be able to kind of build church rather than go yeah, to church exactly exactly sense, yeah. and they'd come from a world of, of like this is how you do church yeah, yeah. nobody explained like i mean i've sat with you before and you yeah. ask questions right but yeah. you weren't allowed to do that you this is how we do it yeah don't ask me why we do it, it is, yeah. or what we do this is just how we do it and mm. you go but but why do we do it like that and um and you're not allowed to answer that but i was interested in the why and i was happy to deal with that and so yeah, these last, what are we now, 2018? Yeah. So these last 18 years or so have just been about um, me helping people that, I hate saying this, but it is true, helping people that have been damaged by Christianity mm. to find Christ. Mm. Paul, we still got about 10 minutes left, so I'm going to, but I'm most definitely going to need to do a part two of you because there's a whole bunch of questions. That I haven't got to, um, but I do want to know about the, or I do want everybody else to know about the custard pie factory. Um, <laughs> what's that about? And then from that kind of with again with all the rejection, with all the trauma, with all the tragedy. Yeah. What's how have you managed to like you? You are you are the the pastor of grace. I don't know how else to put it. Like that's, <laughs> that's how I know you are the grace guy. Like how, how, how is your message of God all about love given your life? I mean, we haven't, we haven't even sp- spoken about dares and yeah. so on and so forth, but even till this day, and I, I know you were speaking in church this morning about what's happening with your goddaughter and so on and so forth. How are you the, the, the God is love guy. But first of all, if you could answer the, the custard pie factory, custard pie factory. I yeah, that was called. a funny story then, actually. So, yeah. so we were um, we were looking for a home for for the for the Grace Project, and um, we were driving through, came through Wilston Junction, and um, I, and all I knew was, oh no, it was actually it was it was a bit strange in that the kind of story starts a bit earlier. So, we had a really creative group of people that were part of the church in Chiswick, and they were well, most of them were artists, and they were performers and dancers and theatre people. And this one particular day, we had this thing where there was they brought all these scarves, uh, not scarves, flags. Um, flags. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. and they were assigning various different prophetic intentions to the to the to the, um, uh, to, the to the flags. And when all the flags were gone, there was one flag that was left. And it was cerise pink, and it was just lying there. I'm like nobody wanted to claim it. And then, although I used to tease tease everybody because I used to call because we had so many people from the performing arts. We used to have a lot of, you know, same-sex couples and the rest of it come into the community. I used to call this the Will and Grace Project, right? Because it was like, because it was just chill. <laughs> yeah, no just one that, cared. Yeah. It was like, just you want to be accepted? Do you want to find your way in love? Do you want to figure out that God loves you and does not bother what you're up to? Just sit down oh, and just, yeah. we'll tell you who you are. And if God wants you to do with your relationship, he'll deal with that. That's not my job. My job's just to love you and tell you who you are. So this one pink one was lying there. And um, Haley and I were driving. We'd just gone to the, to the um, no, I don't know where we... Oh, no, that's right, because we were still living in East London. And we come up through Wilsden, and we came up through, um, what's the road that's called there? Um, Wells Farm Road. And we drove along Wells, Victoria Road into Wells Farm Road. 
And the thing, and, and what I'd had in my mind about this pink thing was that this pink had to do with the, um, the place where we were going to go and move to. And I had this picture of this place that was all just windows and lots of light and white, but there was a pink. There's something to do with pink. Mm. So, um, <laughs> so we drive past this place and I caught it on the corner of my eye and it was a big building with lots of light, lots of glass. And I said to Haley. I'm going to call him the next day. So I called the guy up and I said, can we come and see it? The guy said, yeah, come around and see. So I popped around to see it. We go into the, um, into the building and, um, actually, how did we, oh yeah, no, sorry. Excuse me. We run. There's another part to that story. So I had a call from a guy called Steve, whose surname I can't remember. He runs something called Artisan. It's a Christian thing from Holy Trinity Bompton. And he was meeting at a place called the Custard Pie Factory in, um, Birmingham and I'd woken up in the morning I was going to go and see these uh, the, this this place in Acton thinking about a custard pie factory and I'm like oh maybe we're supposed to go to act to up to um Birmingham, Birmingham see this custard pie factory and kind of figure out what's going on so I said oh anyway I'll come back to that later so I go to the the, the meet this this the guy this go see this this building go through the front door open the door and they open up the doors and as you walk through the floors are this blancmange pink, and I'm like it's the same as the colour of the flag. Yeah, and mm. I'm like, are he? Yeah. Some that's a trip already. Yeah. I, I was all <laughs> over the place. So I walked upstairs. I was like, who has pink floors? So we're yeah. all walking up into this place, walking through these, and I'm like, what's going on? And I said to Haley, what the hell's up with this? Yeah. So we go into this room. The guy says, this is the studio we've got available. He owns this room, and it's just all glass right mm. it's this it's like a loft it's all glass pink floor all glass and i said to the guy um so what did this place used to be before you um turned it into this yeah. place he went oh, it was the custard pie factory <laughs> went, oh my god <laughs> really so the bit you don't know about this story was um i'm standing in the i went to another room because we had we, we had, took these two rooms and i went to this one room and i just looked out on this room and um, I said, um, Lord, like, should we take this place? And let's go, like, sorry, what part of Custard Pie, pie Factory, Factory don't yeah. you understand? <laughs> and I went, yeah. all right, okay, okay, okay. And I said, where am I? And then and the Lord said to me, um, just look over there. And I said, I looked. And he said, where is it? <laughs> he said, this is the site of the hospital you were born in that was then torn down. It was right where you are. Crazy. This is a film, bro. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, um, so the guy said, would you like more time to think about it? I said, no, that's all right. We'll we'll just just, say what you need to say. I just signed signed the thing. And uh, yeah, there's loads of stuff to talk to you about. I mean, I think you'd probably be interested in the whole Stephen Lawrence story as well. Yeah, definitely. The chief executive over there and stuff. But, But the answer to your bigger question is that I think that, um, I think what I've learned Damini is this is that um, the power of me as a hidden figure to use your lovely expression I love that film as well by the way the power of me as a hidden figure is that um, what is interesting to people is is that I can teach you I can teach you a theology of redemption through my own life Mm. it's not about what I learned in a book it's, it's about it's about what I've seen in my life, and it's mm. about 
knowing that through every single thing that I have experienced, um, there's a verse in the um, Genesis that says, um, what the enemy meant for evil. Yeah, turned to good. God meant for good. And so I just know that, and I know that I've been privileged to be able to um, to see these crazy things and to experience these crazy things um, because there's a lot of people that know what it means to be rejected, that know what it means to be abandoned. Um, and I can be a bridge. And that's a privilege. Again, how have you come to the conclusion God is love, though? Because I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know how else to say this. From a from an outside perspective, looking at your life, it sounds like your conclusion should be, God is a prick, um, and it, it, <laughs> it, it, it is what you said. Like when 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 the fire happened, and you were just like, I don't know who this God is, but he's he's, he's he must have an issue with me. I just I just don't know what's going on. So how how have you gone from that position, and still even with things that are happening in your life, things that have happened in your life. Mm. How is it that your your conclusion, your your experience with God is one of love rather than anything else? I, I, does, that, does that question yeah, make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Um, so let, let me just give you a straight up answer. Yeah. Because the God of religion is a prick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, that's not the God that I that I know now. Mm. That's very deep. I think that's actually a very good place to Keep to rest. That's a very good place to rest. Um, I mean, I'm going to keep the, the thing rolling, so sure. you're not listening. You can hear this, but um, yeah, as you said, like I know that you've um, that you're involved in the Stephen Lawrence Foundation, mm-hmm. um, which I'm very interested to hear sure, about. I'll Just the it. Stephen Lawrence story, full stop. Yeah, that's an amazing. Um, I'd love to know about your career as well. Sure. Um, I know you've worked with quite a few big firms and so on and mm, so forth. Mm. And um, also what you're doing in terms of the church mm-hmm. in Burn Token. Just how your life's now become, you know, we, I, I almost feel like we've done the build up to your to, to, to where you are now. And then <clears throat> next time, I was about to say next week, but next time we can talk <laughs> about kind of, yeah, where you are Anytime. now, but um, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a genuine pleasure because yeah, yeah I, I don't really get a, you, you just you do what you do, don't you? You don't yeah. actually get a chance. They don't always stop and think, why do you do that? Yeah. So. Well, I mean, I, I, I kind of want to reiterate as well. Obviously, the, and the listeners would have heard, will, will have heard me say this a number of times, but the whole point of the podcast is that I kind of feel like often, as young black people specifically, um, often we look at what we don't have what we haven't got, what we've, our position relative to others um, and use that as a barrier for what we can do. Mm. Um, And why I think your story in particular, more so than the average one, um, is because of how much you didn't have. Um, And obviously as a a Christian, as a pastor, I'm sure you'll ascribe that all to God, um, which I think is the right thing to do Mm. anyway. But nevertheless, I think it's it's just important for 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 people to hear these stories from others, um, hear about what what life was like, what other people have dealt. You know, 
in all honesty, in doing this podcast, the kind of stories I was kind of hoping for and anticipating was hearing people talk about, almost like I said, you know, hearing about the Brixton riots from a first-hand perspective, yeah. or the Notting Hill riots from a first-hand perspective, hearing about what it's like to be a black person in an organisation full of white people, or hearing about what kind of discrimination they faced. And I just kind of wanted to get these stories from people, but I also just wanted to get people's personal stories mm. and record it down. And I think... Hearing your story personally is a yeah, it's a way that I I I think I think it's a light. It will, it will be a light for very many people um, going forward. So thank you very much, Paul. We will do a round a round two. We will I do a round two. But thank you for the round one, and um, yeah, I look forward to 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 continuing this conversation. I look forward to being back with you. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you. All right. Well. That went wonderful. I, I hope Is you enjoyed right? that. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> Honestly, Paul, you have a... Yeah, it's, done. Crazy it's a crazy story. story. <laughs> it's a really crazy story. And I think, I, think, I think the beauty of the crazy story is, is where you are today. And yeah. the fact that, despite all of that, again, like I said, your, your conclusion is that God is love. Yeah, absolutely. Which, I know people are going to listen to this and just be like, how? How? What? Why? Where? Oh, no, no, no. Thank you. Uh